It's rather obvious, but success in the workplace doesn't happen by accident. If you're a manager at any level, certain people and especially cultures will help push those individuals to great heights. But you can't truly motivate others. If you want to succeed, you've got to have energized, productive, motivated people. Well, the way that that happens is you hire the right people who have some of that in what I call in their DNA, in their just the internal pieces that you can't train. And then you create an environment that allows them to release those strengths and talents and so forth towards the organization, towards the outcomes that you're, you're after. And that's your job. So you can't actually motivate people, but what you can do is cultivate that environment. So I like to say you don't motivate, you cultivate. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Muman. On this episode of Employment Notebook, we're giving you an experienced and proven perspective when it comes to success as a leader in your organization. Joining us on LJN Radio is David Dye, co-author of Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. David is the founder and president of Trailblaze, Inc., where he's worked with countless individuals and companies helping to solve their common leadership frustrations. Thanks for coming on the show, David. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I have to start off with the title of the book, uh, Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. I need you to explain that last part to me. What exactly does that mean? <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's a question that uh, we get uh, quite a bit here. A couple of years ago, Jack Welsh wrote a book uh, called Winning. And who doesn't want to win, right? Right. When we talk about winning, we're talking about getting results. And every leader, every manager, if you're in business, you've got to get results. And that's what winning is, is whatever those results are, the purpose of your team is there for, great, you're getting those. Well, what we, what we see happen quite a bit is that managers tend to fall into one of two camps. Either they focus on winning and getting results, but at whatever cost, whatever mm-hmm. it takes to get them today. And they end up using people and treating people like objects, and they distance themselves from their teams. Or there are managers that also value the relationships, and they'll go, to, they'll go all the way that direction and start building relationships with people, but at the expense of results. So when we talk about winning well, we're talking about combining those two things, is that you're going to get results, and you're going to sustain excellent results over time. And you're going to do it by staying connected to, collaborating with, and investing in your people. Ultimately, it's, winning well is about blending the bottom line with the human spirit. Is that something that has changed over the last, I don't know, couple decades, three decades? Because it seems like most people were accepting of, yeah, you get results however you can and, and you move on. Is that something that's changed over the course of the last few decades? It certainly seems that way. And there are a number of reasons for that. I think one of the, the uh, main reasons is it's the information age. Hmm. When there's a transparency and a sense of openness and accessibility in terms of information, uh, you know what's going on at the company across the, the way. and You either know people or you can find out online. And if you're not treating people well, that information gets out very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a number of organizations who actually approach me or my co-author from a consulting perspective because they know things aren't working. And the way they know is that they're starting to see negative reviews come up online uh, about their workplace and the environment. And it's affecting their ability to recruit and retain employees. And if you need talent, you need to energize motivated workforce, uh, you've got to provide the environment that's going to do that. Um, some of these things, though, are really quite long-lasting and, and have been around for ages. And the, the connection of work to meaning and purpose, that's not something that's changed. Right. People have always tended to give their best and, and give that extra effort when their heart's connected to their work. 
Well, I think that's definitely a fair point and something that people may not think of. As you said, it's always been there. It may just be a bigger focus now. You mentioned, obviously, you've spoken with a lot of different people and consulted in different ways. From your experience, how do you think many managers fall short when it comes to their environment? You mentioned that term as you were speaking there. As far as creating a certain environment within their team, within their company, where do you think that gap needs to be bridged? I will tell you that uh, in 90% of the instances where I have a manager or a team leader or an executive approaching me and saying, hey, we've got a problem and my expectations aren't being met or what I would hope would be the, the productivity levels, that's not being... When something's not going the way we would hope, nine times out of 10, the underlying gap, the place to start is with clarity of expectations. And in other words, what does success look like? And the way I say it is I ought to be able to go into any person's office or, or talk to anyone in a company or organization and ask them three questions. What does success look like for the organization as a whole? What does success look like for your team or department? And then what does success look like for your role specifically? And everybody ought to be able to answer those questions. If they can't, then how on earth can they perform to meet those expectations? Right. And clarity of expectations actually energizes people because when we know exactly what we're trying to do and, and what, resu- what results and what success looks like, then we can actually go for it. Everything else starts with that kind of clarity. Along the same lines, you know, I mentioned the term clarity a couple times there. A theme I noticed was an emphasis on focus and the term focus. Focused employees, being focused in meetings, focused on projects. Uh, why such a stress on that area as far as what you're talking about here? Sure. You know, it actually comes back to our fundamental uh, winning well model. And that is that when you're leading, you're leading internally from a place of confidence and humility. So you've got confidence in your vision and the audacity to say, hey, we can do something here that's bigger than us. And then you've got humility that says, you know, I know I'm not better than any other person here Mm. and we all have something to contribute. And I also am aware of my own strengths. and I'm going to live those out. Well, the focus piece comes on and externally we want to focus on two things. And I call it the brush and floss of leadership. If you go to the (laughs) dentist and they say, hey, whatever else you do, brush and floss and your teeth are going to be okay. Well, this is the brush and floss of leadership, which is as a leader, if you can focus on results and relationships, in other words, in every circumstance you're in, can you ask yourself, how can we achieve excellent results through this situation? And how can I build healthy professional relationships with whoever I'm in the room with? When we'll approach that as a both and, that's the kind of focus that allows us to figure out the answer to whatever kind of situation we might be in. Just out of curiosity, did you trademark that term, brush and floss? Because I may have to use that as I go forward. (laughs) Well, I'm not a dentist, so I do work (laughs) with quite a few dentists, and I'm I'm afraid they've got the corner on that one. No, I think uh, think that's great. I think it's a great way to phrase it. I think that really kind of sets the tone for, you know, what you're talking about being the the two areas of focus there. Uh, Another term you've used actually a couple times, and I noticed um, just in doing some research from the book, is the term energy. How do you define energy when you're talking about a work setting and really the impact that you feel it has when you're trying to accomplish these things? Tim, that's a great question. You know, the Gallup organization has done their employee engagement uh, research here for several years running, and we're finding consistently that Uh, that only 30% of the workforce are engaged in their work. And I actually like the word energy as opposed to engaged because I think it's something we can wrap our head around a little bit. Hmm. What does energy look like? Uh, Well, let's start with what it doesn't look like. What it doesn't look like is I'm doing the least amount of work possible so I don't get fired. Or even worse, I'm I'm actively undermining my employer. I'm stealing, (laughs) I'm, I'm on Facebook all day when I could be working, whatever it is. 
But I've never, ever met a leader who says, oh, you know, if I could just get the least amount of effort out of my people, man, this place would be on fire. <laughs> right? And what people want, what do they want? They want energy. They want people's hearts connected to the work and that they're actively problem solving and trying to figure out what to do. And, and the reality is that when people's strengths are connected to their work and when they understand the reason for the work and when their success is clearly defined and what we're trying to achieve here and so forth, and you have somebody in the right fit, people naturally release that energy. And that's our job as leaders is to to release, create that environment that releases people's talents, strengths, and so forth to the mission of the organization. Some people, and I've had conversations with individuals like this, they argue that the manager's job isn't to try to motivate or, in your term, energize others, that there should be a intrinsic motivation that they have. What is your thought on that, or how would you respond to that thought? Uh, well, first, I would agree that the folks who say, well, it's not my job to motivate people, they're right, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the way that they're right is that you don't motivate anyone. Ultimately, you're, you're correct, Tim. What you just said is that motivation comes from inside a person, right? And, the, and it's the same way I use the comparison of uh, growing trees or plants or anything like that. So if you're, I like bonsai trees. If you're growing a bonsai tree, your job is to cultivate the environment that allows that tree to, to express all of its beauty and, and grow and be healthy. Well, it's the same thing as a manager, as a leader. If you want to succeed, you've got to have energized, productive, motivated people. Well, the way that that happens is you hire the right people who have some of that in what I call in their DNA and their just the internal pieces that you can't train. Mm -hmm. And then you create an environment that allows them to release those strengths and talents and so forth towards the organization, towards the outcomes that you're, you're after. And that's your job. So you can't actually motivate people, but what you can do is cultivate that environment. So I like to say you don't motivate, you cultivate. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned you know the people that you bring in can have a big impact. Um, and I don't know how much you've been involved in the hiring side of things, but does that become a big issue as far as companies hiring too much for the skill side and not seeing for what the person is or what they bring, as you said, sort of that intrinsic side of things? Uh, certainly, and that can definitely be a problem. Karen and I like to start with, when in the hiring process, to start with what are the core competencies you're after that make your high performers successful in a particular role? Mm -hmm identify those things and hire for that. So hire for fit, hire for culture, hire for values, hire for the aspiration to do what it is that role needs to do. And then from there, you can train some of the, the underlying skills. But the worst thing in the world you can do, and, and Karen and I have seen this, my co-author Karen Hurt, we have seen this so often in organizations where they will bring in somebody who might be brilliant and talented, but they are a cancer to the culture of the organization. Sure. And then the manager is fearful of losing that intelligence or that skill set, and then they tolerate this really poor behavior that a kindergarten teacher would not tolerate in, <laughs> in a classroom, and yet they tolerate it, and then that tells all the other people that they really don't care, uh, that they're not cared for and that they're not valued, and then you've got a real mess. I was curious also, because I mean, all, all of this that we're talking about, uh, what role does trust play in this? And I, I could see it both ways, trust from the employee to the manager and, and the other way around. Where does that fit into the grand scheme of things? I think of trust as the oxygen in the room. So if you've got a room full of people and a team leader and, and you've got your five or six person team, uh, the trust is the atmosphere that all of that work and all of those relationships exist within. And so, as you said, it's both trust of the people for their leader, it's the trust of the leader for their team, and it's also the trust of the team members for one another. 
everybody in an ideal team has that trust with each other that we know that we're working towards the same goal. That's why that clarity is so important. Um, we know how to communicate. We know how to have uh, healthy disagreements with one another. We know how to collaborate. We know how to do all those things. And we know that at the end of the day, we can rely on each other, that we're all doing our best to contribute, and we have each other's backs. And, and that's vital. You can't have all of the other conversations you need to have without that, that foundation, that oxygen in the room of trust. With all of this as well, where does it come into play as far as focusing on the short-term goals or results versus looking at it from a bigger picture? And I know that can be very difficult for a lot of people because we are such a, a now society, as you talked about with all the information we have, but uh, how much does that play a role as far as planning now versus planning for down the road? Sure. It is a huge challenge for managers today, and especially when if you're in a frontline or a mid-level role. And, and even if you're the company owner or the executive, you've got you know quarterly uh, reports to make and, and so on. And what happens is a lot of people end up sacrificing the long term for the short term. Mm-hmm. And so a couple ways to keep that in mind. One is to remember that it's always a marathon. It's never a sprint. And, you know, marathon is long distance. So there's a pace that you want to you run at that's going to be sustainable over time. And occasionally you're going to sprint, but occasionally you're also going to slow down. You're going to manage that energy. So one is to have that awareness and just to keep it in front of you. Two is the practice of, you know, it's, it's become popular and almost cliche a little bit these days. But when I talk about mindfulness, um, we're not talking about necessarily needing to do, you know, three-day huge retreat type of thing. What we're talking about is can you take 60 seconds Uh, during your day to stop and breathe and focus on, okay, what are we really doing here? Hmm. Um, The third is what we call in in the book is you want to focus on the game, not the score. In other words, leaders play to win the game. They don't play to game the score. And here's what that looks like. With a lot of organizations, you'll find a heavy emphasis on adjusting one metric. And the problem with that is that you're not doing the fundamental behaviors that will get you success over time. And so what we find leaders who succeed do is that they focus on what are the really meaningful behaviors. If it's you're trying to adjust a net promoter score, for instance, and how well customers will recommend your company. Um, the worst thing we've seen is when you walk into like a, a retail store and the cashier hands you a, a receipt and circles the survey at the bottom and says, hey, could you please do this survey? And if you could give us a 10, you know what, I get punished for anything less than a 10. And I've seen this repeatedly. Well, if if I give them a 10, okay, they've just adjusted their their net promoter score, but what does it really mean? It has no impact at all. It's gaming the system as opposed to playing the game. So the real lasting behavior would be to teach those folks what does good, healthy customer service look like? What are the what are the five or six principles of that? How do you greet customers? How do you see their their problem through to, to resolution? Whatever it looks like for your company, you know, you've got your key behaviors. That's where to focus. And if you do that in the long term and you're investing in your folks, you're, gonna, you're going to win. You're going to sustain those results over time. David, some excellent stuff that you brought to us in a number of different areas to kind of give people that picture of what you're talking about. So unfortunately, we are out of time, but I want to thank you very much for joining us. We do appreciate it. Well, thank you, Tim. And uh, folks can find out more about the book at winningwellbook.com. Perfect. Thanks again for being here, David. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have on this edition of Employment Notebook and our conversation with David Dye, co-author of Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. 
If you'd like to give us any feedback on this or any of our shows, send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at the LJN. And if you'd like to listen to any of our past shows, just head over to iTunes and you can search LJN Radio. You'll find them all right there. Thank you once again for listening. I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.